Welcome to our weekly, and we mean weekly, Wednesday night shir, fourth night of Hanukkah. This Shabbos, of course, is every Shabbos Hanukkah, Pashmi Ketz. Like, of course, dedicate the shir, the Nishmas, the Shalamis. Shalom. Tonight, also, like to dedicate the Nishmas and Av Rechasid of Shmuel ben Av Yisrael. Zeichel the Bracha, Chena the Bracha, Shama Shavir Aliyah. Should be a good battle for the family. Tav Shin Lamed Zayin, 1978, 1977, Kislev, Shanaka, Chavches Kislev, and there was a car accident, five Shachtum going out, ritual slaughterers, six ritual slaughterers going out from New York to Pennsylvania, and they unfortunately hit a patch of ice, and the patch of ice sent them flying to the oncoming traffic on the other side, and there was a tractor-trailer, and five of them were killed instantly. One was in Shmuel ben Avisrael. He was a sheikhet mumcha, an expert sheikhet. He was... An extremely, extremely devoted and dedicated person. He was a all, he was all of thirty eight years old, and he left a family of very, very young children. Unfortunately, his Nisham Avanaliya. Fellow studied in Shiva's time Chetamimim, studied in Yeshiva's time Chetamimim, Bedford and Dean, 770. He had a weekly shear every Wednesday, every Sunday, I'm sorry, with Rashiv Rav Mantlik. Very pleasant demeanor. Very, very happy-go-lucky person. Very hearty smile. Very powerful voice. Tonight, from Tav Shalamet Zayin until today, it's quite an amount of years. It's 38 years already. It's quite a long time ago. He's gone for as long as he was alive. One experience. So, as his family gathers tonight, we sit here tonight, thank you, dedicate tonight also the shir to his memory, to his neshama, to the chayim,
Chayit Nalibay. Nabi tells us that we need to, the person that is alive still, needs to take to heart, needs to take to heed. What lesson do we take from this person's life, from this person's legacy? A man of short 38 years in this world. Didn't have it easy, of course, and who had it easy? Financially in those days, who had it easy? And anything. But yet, when his first grandchild got engaged, they asked me to say a few words. I said that one thing everybody knew. He had a space between his front teeth. Two front teeth had a very wild space. And I said, how did everybody know that? Because he always was smiling. When a person smiling, you can see what his teeth look like. Always has a smile on his face. Have a save upon him, your face. We need to greet people in a pleasant way, pleasant fashion. This was him. He always had a good word to tell somebody. He came from war torn Europe. In 1947, he arrived. Eight years old. He's only eight years old in 47. And go no. Only 30 years later, after surviving the war at eight years old, running from town to town, averting pure death from all sides. I'm living here in New York. 30 years later, in the Golden of Medina, and never to be taken, to be snuffed at such a young age. And the lesson to us, of course, is no matter what the, con- the controversy is, no matter what the issues are, we need to always know and understand Hashem Echad, and therefore the Almighty is here for us. There's nothing that happens without the Abish's will. We need to accept our lot in all that happens. I had occasion tonight to dive in my room, 770, with a shliach, old friend, who was unfortunately diving for the Ahmed for his daughter. Passed away very, very young as well. And as we were gathering the minion, there weren't ten people there yet. They had to wait for people to come into shul. As the minion was gathering, I said to him, Yisrael, I said, give me a story for the year." At that point, we got another few people 
We're almost with a minion. It says, you know what? After my... This is from Rabbi Yisrael Deren in Connecticut. Tell me a very powerful story. A wealthy businessman had business dealings. He lived in Chicago. He had business dealings in Miami. He had a big meeting that had to take place right after Yom Kippur. Anyway, the meeting was not an hour, it was not a few hours. It took a few days. Before he turned around, it was Erev Sukkot. <coughs> and he saw there's no way he's getting home from Chicago for Sukkot. No. You're in Miami, you can get invited, but hey, a little of an asterisk. Doesn't have dollar minimum. So what do you do when all else fails? You call Chabad. Picked up, he found an official cats. And he asked him, he says, do you have a little of an essay? He says, yes, of course. And he ran over and he met with an official. An official gave him a nice little of an essay. Turns out an official asks him, who, you, who are you? And he tells him his name and he says to wait a minute. You're Rothstein from Chicago? He says, yes. My father worked for your grandfather in Chicago. And he says, if I'm not mistaken, your grandfather was a very wealthy man that merited to pay the mortgage of 770. When they bought 770, his grandfather bought the mortgage of 770. Oh, excuse me, because I have to, I missed a, a beat. He took the little monastic, and he reached for his wallet to pay for it, and he realized he forgot his wallet in the hotel. He didn't have a wallet, he didn't have a checkbook, he didn't have a credit card, he didn't have anything. So the official said, don't worry about it. You'll pay me chalamoid. This man was not a, uh, an ignoramus. He knew the laws of Lulav and Esrig. And the law is Lachem. Lakaktem Lachem, the Torah says. You have to take your own fruit. It needs to belong to you. If I don't purchase it, it's not mine. He said, okay. They made a Kenyan together. Now you can pay me Kalamite. He says, let me tell you, let me show you. There's a safer called Yemei Bereshis. Earlier days of Chabad Chassidim. Here in New York, in America. I want to show you something that written about your grandfather. And they look up the book, and it turns out his grandfather not only donated, not only purchased 770, it was also a very beautiful set of Svarim in Kahas and Chabad, known as Teichemed, which unfortunately I don't have here. 
and he paid for the printing of Steich Hemed. And they open the book in Mebereshus and they find his picture there. And there was a Fabreng in Rishkeidus Sivan. The Rebbe was speaking, and he asked the Rebbe before the Fabrengen if the Rebbe, the Rebbe would mention and speak about Stechemen. To speak something about the Sefer set. The Rebbe said, Bring me one of the Kirachim and we'll talk. So they brought one volume, and it was on the Rebbe's table, and the Rebbe opened it up and looked at it a second, glanced at it, closed it, and began to discuss discuss a very interesting sugya. This is all in the book. Yimei is talking about the grandfather when he brought the Sefer to the Rebbe. What topic the Rebbe find in Stechemet the Rebbe was talking about? L'kachtem l'chem priye That the little of an essay, the essay has to belong to you. <laughs> and here, the grandson is confronting just that issue. So the same re- relationship that the grandfather had with the Rebbe, where the Rebbe discussed that the Sefer that he had printed, of here that same grandson came across the same Musig in Chabad, of Lakaktum Lachem Priyat Hadar. Mineda, as I said to him, you know, Israel, it's interesting because Mineda, oh, <coughs> So there's a connection between Sukkot and Hanukkah also. I said, regardless, I said, the Menorah has the same din, of course. If a person is invited, a person staying in a place, in an inn, and the innkeeper is going to light, the Balabos is going to, Balachsanya is going to light, Menorah for everybody, everybody can be Yetzel with his Menorah lighting, but they have to give something, they have to give a Shtapruta, a coin to the, to the host of the house, and this is their connect. This is their purchase of the rights of part ownership of this candle, so that it belongs to them also. I was talking last night to a crowd. Not everybody was chabad there. As a matter of fact, not everybody was from the Jewish persuasion. We made an office party, a Hanukkah party. One of the offices that I go to every Yom Tov to speak. And uh, Ellie Kleinman, president of the company, Fivish Bevzner, the vice president. Fivish graciously. Um, Sponsored the party. So when I come for Yom Tov, before Yom Tov time, to speak to the Jewish workers about the upcoming Yom Tov, or when I come on Purim and I lay in the Megillah, obviously only the Jews are going to attend that session. Mm-hmm. Nobody else wants to subject themselves to, to listening to a rabbi speaking. But when it comes to food, you can't just tell the Jews, only the Jews can come in. 
If you're making a party with food, everyone needs to be invited. So everybody was there. Mm. And of course, like always, mm. the rabbi here, he's obviously going to say something. He's going to say a few words. Well, yeah? Uh, I so if he's going to say, so I said a few words. Oh, give me a share. Who? The male? Yeah. And I said the beauty of Hanukkah how it unites the entire world. The midst of Hanukkah is the light of the candles on the outside. Mibayis Lachutz. So if it lights the outside, meaning everybody needs to see it, everybody needs to know it, then you have no racism there's no discrimination as to who gets the light. You walk by the house where a menorah is lit in the window. It's not many Chabat light in the window, but by the door. Obviously, whoever walks by is going to have Hanah from this light. It's going to have pleasure. It's going to derive pleasure from the light. And the light, of course, does not discriminate who is the recipient of its gracious rays. In the days of Hanukkah, the Gemara Masech, the Shabbos, if you keep your score at home, Chafalaf Amid Beis, Chaf Beis all that talks about the sugi of my Hanukkah. Gemara tells us, Yemei Hanukkah, Tonight, Inun, how is it? What is the issue of Hanukkah? You can't fast during Hanukkah, and we don't make eulogies during Hanukkah. Why? Because the Aveda, the service of Hanukkah, is to light the candles by the Pesach, the door closest to the street, to the public. What is the spiritual connotation to that? That a person should bring the light of Kedusha, of holiness, also into the public domain. A place that is not yet illuminated by the Almighty's light. <coughs> if I hear that's the mission, and I think about it, and you tell somebody, <laughs> I think I told the story before, if I haven't told the story, I'll tell the first time, and if I've told it before, tell me, you can tell me, email, email me how many times i told it before. The fellow comes into the, the private comes into the general's office. He says, General, Sir, I came to discuss with you the secret mission. 
that's going to be done now behind enemy lines. It's private, looked like a real slamazel. <laughs> and the general says to him, Private, do you know how to parachute? He says, No, sir. Private, do you know how to detonate bombs? He says, No, sir. Private, if you're captured, do you know how to hold a secret under torture? He says, no, sir. He says, Private, why are you here to discuss this mission? He says, sir, I'm here to tell you on me you should not rely. If it's not my job, I'm not capable of doing this job. I'm not one that can do this. And that's the case. Why ask me? Why tell me to do it? If you're telling me the idea of Hanukkah is to illuminate the public domain, to take the light of spirituality and have it reach places that has not, re- not have not yet been reached. Person says, I got my own problems. I'm not at that level. Talk to the sages. Talk to the rabbis. Talk to people that already have reached a level in spirituality that can do this. These people, unfortunately, still under the influence of the Greeks. What were the Greeks doing? The doing of the Greeks was Timu Kalashmanim, they made impure all the oils. They engraved their impurity in the knowledge and the seichel of the Jews. So says this person, is, this person is not yet purified from this. And he says to himself, since I'm not pure, how can I go out and illuminate somebody else? This is what we are answered. The mitzvahs of the days of Hanukkah is not to make any kind of calculations. Everyone has a mission to go out and to light up the world. <laughs> a person cannot eulogize. A person cannot get depressed from his spiritual downfall, from his spiritual loneliness. The fact that his holiness Shama came from such a high place to this low, low place. And the low place where his neshama finds itself is almost in comparison to death. Still in all, this is not a time for eulogies. His obligation is to go out and to light up the world. To light up the darkness of the public domains. And we don't fast. And therefore also the person who fasts he wants to break his body 
No. The work of Hanukkah is to light up the world anywhere that it is dark. Even in the body, where the body itself has a dark spot, the body itself doesn't feel befitting. The guy said, you know what I got for Hanukkah? Someone just sent it. You know what I got for Hanukkah? Fat. I got fat on Hanukkah. Meaning latkes and donuts, <laughs> chocolate. <laughs> That's what I got. I got fat. <coughs> so the battle, therefore, is a battle that is, a, uh, is, a, is something that each and every one of us needs to face. Each and every one of us needs to go out and battle. And we look and we see the actual prayers that we say on Hanukkah. We say the Valanisim, and we say Haneda Salolu, that was the same Moist Tzur, and all the other traditions that people have, the traditional songs from families or generations. But in the Hanedas Halalu, which everybody basically sings, it says, On the salvations, the miracles, the wonders that were done for our forefathers, how? Through the holy Kohanim. Rambam writes, in the beginning of Hilchus Hanukkah, that who went to war, Bnei Chashminoi, Gavru Bnei Chashminoi, Hakoyanim, Hagidoilim, the great Kahanim, and Vahargim Vahishiyas Yisrael Meyodam. They killed out, and they, they saved the Jews from their hands. What's so important about Koya Necha Hagidoilim? Koya Necha Hagidoilim. What's the difference what are they different than any other given Jew? And obviously, as a nice Jewish person, Jewish rabbi, you got to answer the question with a question. When the rabbi gets asked, why do you answer every question with a question? He wants to, what do you think he says? Why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When the Jews went out against the Yevonim, they went out against the Greeks. The Jews put themselves into danger. Physical danger. In order to fight the Yavanim. Question. What right did they have to endanger their lives to go fight the Yavanim? <coughs> there are three Avedas that a person needs to go all the way out, go all out on, the, on a limb as we say, and even sacrifice their lives for Gila Arayas, Shvichas Domim, and The other way around. Aved Zara, Gila Arayas, and Shvichas Domim. The person is told to serve Aved Zara, Rachman al-Nazan, idol worship, and they are forced and they are told that either they do that or they die, they have to die for it. And the same if you're told that you're going to kill somebody, you have to die for it rather than kill somebody. 
And that's when we learned the famous story of the Tana. They used to put food by people's doors, poor people's doors. And he did it, of course, secretly, anonymously. And one night somebody came to the door as he was standing there. When the person came to the door, he ran for his dear life not to get caught. And so did he run. The only place he found to hide was in a burning oven. And he was with his wife. And they both jumped into the burning oven. And his feet were burning from the floor of the oven. He himself was not getting burned, but his feet were. The wife said, Stand on my feet. Because her feet were not getting burnt. And obviously, you know, the greater excuse of the woman, the merit of the woman is greater than the man, <coughs> since she prepared and baked all this food. So therefore, her merit was greater than the husband's. And that's why she, he was able to, her feet did not burn either. So when it comes to Shvichas Damim, which embarrassment, humiliating somebody, is literally Shvichas Damim, is spilling their blood. In that case, a person would rather kill themselves than kill somebody else. But any other sin, any other thing that happens in the Torah, if you tell a person <coughs> they should, rather than do the Aveda, they should die, then Yarek Val Yaver, according to Rambam, not only the person does not have the right to put such a stringency on themselves and to kill themselves for it, but rather anyone that says that Yaver Val Yarek, Venerek Val Yavar, any other Aveda that's done that said that you could, you could do the Aveda rather than die. And he goes and lets himself die for it. He is Mishayev ben He was Chayev Misa. Although he's dead already. But he doesn't have a right to many different things. So when it comes to Chas Shalom, Shas Hashmad, and this Russia, like Nebuchadnezzar and his people, put a decree on the Jews that they need to shmad, they need to, to convert and to totally eradicate the religion of the Jews, the mitzvah and any kind of mitzvahs, then yes, Yarek Val Yaver, any one of the mitzvahs. Yeah. According to this, according to this, maybe we can understand. What was the idea of the Jews to going up against the Greeks? 
They weren't told to do these three sins. They weren't told to sin Avedezara, Gilarayas, Shikhazdamim. But it was Shasa Shmad. The Rambam writes by, about the decree of the Greeks. They put decrees on the Jews. They took away their religion. Did not allow them to learn Teda and to do mitzvahs. So according to the way the Rambam words this, that the din of this situation at that time, it was the time of a decree. And therefore, Mr. Nefesh, on this, on this entire Teda. But we still need to look into this situation here. Because the end of the day, when it comes to Bishas Hashmad, the din is Yarek Val Yavir. You have to let yourself be killed. Any given way. If they come to force you that you have to do the sin, then you need to be killed. You have to allow yourself to be killed but not do the sin. It doesn't mean you have to go fight and put your neck on the, on the, on the block and say, kill me because you want me to do the sin. I don't want to do it. It doesn't mean you have to go out to war and go put yourself in danger where you're definitely going to get yourself killed versus they're going to come and threaten you to be killed. And if you want to say that going to war is not considered mysterious nefesh and it's allowed every which way, form or fashion because the Taylor said when it comes to even regular battles of Mechemes Hashus as they're called that they'd be allowed even though the actual war can actually put a person in danger. The Tehret excludes the concept of Mesiris Nefesh for a war. And that's why people are given a speech, faint-hearted, <coughs> if you're this, if you're that, if you don't feel you can go to war, don't do it. Here, by the case of the Chashbinoim, we know, we say in the Alav Alanisim, it was chalosh. It was chaloshim biad gibedim, matim rabim biad matim tmei matayim. There was nothing to talk about. The battle was not a any given chance in the world. So where were they going? Where were they going to fight this battle? Why were they even thinking of doing such a thing? It was, it was not natural for them to go to war like this. It was a definite, they were putting themselves in danger of death. When it came to Gidon, in the world, war of Gidon, and he fought against Midian, and he had the different ways of choosing his army, and he narrowed down the army to very, very few people. 30 people to be exact. Gideon was told by Hashem, you're going to win the war. <coughs> Therefore, in essence, he didn't even take any weapon. They had the trumpets and the torches, the jugs, 
And they drove the, the enemy crazy until the enemy killed themselves. <coughs> and just took to the hills. But here he knew, and he was guaranteed by God that he's going to win this battle. With what right did the Hashemunayim, the few handful of Hashemunayim, go out to fight? That's why, therefore, we look at the words of the Teda. We look at what says by the Bnei Hashemunayim, according to Rambam, Kehanim Agdoilim. We say in Anei Salolu, Kehanach Agdoishim. The Poskim wrote, all our sages have written already, and also even the, even the Rambam says, Anywhere it doesn't say, anywhere it says you have to do the Aveda and not get killed, and you did it, you However, what happens if an extremely prestigious man is confronted with one of such sins. Not one of the three sins that one needs to die for. For another given sin. But if he, God forbid, is going to do this sin, it would cause a tremendous, tremendous downfall, a down spirit by the people who look up to him. Because he's a great man and a God-fearing man. Says Allah, this man can let himself be killed for the smallest mitzvah. So that that the entire nation should see what he's doing and learn how to fear God. Even if it's not one of the three Avers. Although Allah says, that if a person, God forbid, lets himself be killed for one of the, any other Aveda, except for these three, He's punished by who knows what. A very important person is allowed to be, allow himself to be killed so that everyone sees how important it is to fear God. According to this, we therefore understand the wording. The din was that these were great people. They were Adam, Godel, the Chosid, Yiddishemayim. And therefore it was pertinent to them, it was imperative on them to go out and to show the Jews we need to fight the Romans. We cannot allow the Romans, the oppressors, to take away our Yiddishkeit. We are not allowed to take, let them cause any, any, any iota of diminishing our terror. And that's why these Kahanim, Agdeilim, or Agdeishim, were allowed to endanger themselves in <coughs> such a battle because they had to teach a lesson to the Jewish nation. I'm missing something here. Um, we know the miracle of Hanukkah they entered and found the oil 
Found the pure oil. What does it mean the other flasks were not pure? What made the oil impure? We say that we found one flask that was pure, had the seal of the kingdom. What did they do? We know the yayin, wine. If a non-Jew, or if a not Shemeshavis, or if someone serving a Zara looks at the wine, and the wine is not mevushal, the wine becomes prohibitive. What do they do to the oil? What does timu mean? It doesn't mean they did anything actually damaging to the oil. They didn't change the panemius of the oil. They touched it. By touching it, they made it impure. What is the panemius of this idea? Chassidus explains. The battle of the Yivonim, of the against the Greeks, not very good for the recording was they wanted to impress upon the Jews Chachmas Chitzenius other studies not just Theta the Greek language customs etc they weren't tainting the Theta itself learn Theta Learn all the Greek mythology and all this as well. And they compared the two. They made an unequal plane, the Greek mythology and Teda. As if Teda is only a knowledge, and this is also a knowledge. This is called impure. The Rambam explains, A dead body does not make somebody impure, and water does not purify him. Serif could not happy. But I engraved a chok, I engraved this law, says the Abishta, I decreed this decree. It's an Indian of a chayk. It's the Mailam and a seichel. It's higher than seichel. So when we make reference to purity and impurity, it's not something that you can put a handle on, not something that you can grab any kind of tangibility to tell us what this is all about, what happened here. This is how the Almighty decreed it. It's impure. So in the Yivanim, the Greeks, they made the oils impure. It was like taking the Chokhmah and tainting the Chokhmah. Even though you're learning Taita. But you're putting in also the Greek mythology, the Chokhmah of the Greeks into the Hegel, into the courtyard of Teda, 
and you put them on an even plane, this is called and therefore one needs to be made nefesh not to allow this to happen. What does that teach us today though? Not we have Greeks. And where's the oil? There are those that say, Tata is nice. Tata is sharp. Sharpens the mind. So if you're already a step ahead and a level ahead of the world, what does it bother you <coughs> to mix other things also? To learn other knowledge also? A few hours a day Taylor, <coughs> a few hours a day other things. Favdal. And it should be an even plane. It's just as important to know Gemara, to know Allah, as it is to know math. Or the opposite. Chas what could happen? What could go wrong? This is the miracle of Hanukkah teaches us. Not only that there was no oil, the tire, the pure oil cannot be poured into the impure oil to make it pure. Adrava, just the opposite. Everything, all oil became impure. Even the oil that was pure became impure because they allowed the other chachmas to come in. Because the truth of the matter is, if a Jew is not, as we said before, capable of overcoming another Jew's understanding of this, how can he himself understand how to accept and therefore a person needs to be careful not to get close to the Greek or to the secular world and by not allowing the Greek and the secular into a person not allowing it into the Heichel HaTera into their courtyard into their circle of Tera but rather Understanding. I need to know math. I need to know science. I need to know social studies. I need to know whatever I need to know for subjects in school. I need to know it in order to pass my tests. I need to know it to go into a career, perhaps. I don't need to know it because it's part of my life. The only knowledge I need to know, which is part of my life, is Tata. And very interestingly, we see the same thing in our Parsha. According to Rashi, why did Yosef's grains do better than everybody else's? Everybody was told, Yitzvah is bar. Everybody was told that the drought is going to start, and you better pile up, you better stack up, stack up. The seven bad years are going to come, and you're not going to have what to eat. During the good years, you have multitude, you have extra. Store it. <coughs> Tells us the Tata that everybody stored, and everything got destroyed. 
Yosef had enough. Yosef's stuff, everything he stored was perfect. Why? According to Rashi, Yosef would mix local soil into the grain. That's how he put it into the storage. It preserved the grain and it prevented it from decay. The local soil, says Rashi. What does that have to do spiritually? At the end of Shemineshrei, we say, We proceed our request to God, open my heart in your Torah. But before that I say, my soul is like sand, <coughs> like <coughs> dust. Why? Why do we call our soul such a lowly thing? By doing so, we ensure that our hearts will absorb and maintain this Torah study. And Rashi emphasizes, however, that what is the grain protected by? How does it protect it from spoilage? When it was stored with the local soil. Even humility has a place. I mean, to be meek and modest. And the Torah commands that you devote yourself to resources of teaching Torah to others. How are you going to be humble? How humble can you be by saying, I don't know it. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. How can I teach you? I can't impart my chokhmah to you. If I tell you I don't have any chokhmah, if I tell you I'm a fool, if I tell you I'm a nothing. But the humility, the humility is necessary in order to maintain our Torah study. And what is that humility? It has to be local. We must humble ourselves within our actual study of the Torah. Meaning that first we have to preface and we have to pad our Torah study with the awareness of the Torah's holiness, its sanctity, its divinity. <coughs> Consequently, when we approach Torah study, it's not something that I do a personal satisfaction. I'm happy to say that I amassed so and so much Torah, but I rather I've done it so that I can awaken others and bring others to the study of Torah. And therefore, it needs to be local. Local meaning within your own, within yourself. But sometimes within yourself means something also. <coughs> Today, the Alter Rebbe was released from prison for a second time. Last week, Chagagullah of Yuteski slave was the first time he was imprisoned. And the second time we say that was not as severe, but the decree was much worse. Today was the second time he was released from prison, the third day of Hanukkah. Chasidim, Yidin, 
a general at large have been persecuted throughout and forever. We're not, unfortunately, doing much better today. Between all the attacks, the stabbings, which have nothing to do with terror, according to the Swedish ambassador. Swedish ambassador, ambassador announced this week that none of the stabbings have anything to do with terrorism. <laughs> they all found out that the way to make your knife sharpest is by sticking it into a Jew. Or by making it kosher. There's a halacha that if a, a knife sometimes has to be koshered, we stick it in the ground. So if you make it kosher by sticking it in the ground, so they figure, I guess, that you're going to make their knife sharper by sticking it into a Jew. So it's not to do with terrorism. They're doing the, the knives and the scissors, they're sticking it into Jews to make them sharper, probably. Believe that, i got a bridge to sell you. Um, that's the Swedish ambassador graced us with his brilliant wisdom. Today? Today, yesterday, Grace. It's a difference in Akshabai. Anyway, the Rabbeim, unfortunately, especially in Chabad, were also persecuted in such a way. They got arrested for teaching Teda, for spreading Siddhas in the world. They're pretty serious situations. Friedrich Rebbe literally was thrown down a flight of metal stairs. When he got to America, finally, 1940, he was a wreck, he was crippled, he he was really, really busted up. When when the Rebbe came here, though, who was able to escape the war in 1940 was during the war itself. The Chassidim were in a great dilemma. Chassidim were at a great loss because they were stuck behind the Iron Curtain and the Rebbe was here. Chassidim in Samarkand, who didn't suffer so severely there, but they still had 18 eyes watching them all the time, also had that yearning to be with the Rebbe. Simchas Teda, 1940 something, the Chsidim were Fabrengen. They were sitting with the Chsidish of Fabrengen. And during the Chsidish of Fabrengen, we say the Chaim. You know, Mechayim, not as much, a little bit of watered down uh, liquor. <laughs> okay, maybe not watered down. But there's a lot of camaraderie, and there's song to awaken the heart and soul. And camaraderie where people talk to each other and they tell each other different pointers of how to improve one another. One chassid, this Nemenov, said, enough of this. It's in Chesteda. And he jumped up and started to sing and dance. And another chassid, and a third and a fourth, started dancing with him. And when you danced, you danced, they were dancing away, Sim Chesteda style, in Samarkand, <coughs> during the war. 
After a while, there was one chassid who felt that this is not, this is frivolous. We're in the middle of a fabrengen. We need to be inspired, not like this. And he gave a bang on the table. Enough! And most of the chassidim got intimidated and they sat back down to the table. Most, but not all. The only not all was Nissen. And Nissen Nemenov took a couple of chairs. He lined them up. And he sat down in the front chair. And he went, Choo-choo! <laughs> Who wants to come on the train with me to the Rebbe? He obviously took a little bit of mashke. But he keeps going on and on. Choo-choo, let's go, we're going to the Rebbe. Now come on. On this makeshift little toy set of chairs. You're sitting here in Samarkand, Russia, and you're going to go to the Rebbe in Brooklyn, New York. What's Max the And he said, no. Who's joining me on the train to the Rebbe? And he insisted, and the other student was screaming at him, enough, you're disturbing the Fabrengen. And this went back and forth until the second guy, and the third guy got up and said, listen, I'm coming with you. And they sat down on the train to the Rebbe. And this one sat in the front and he went choo-choo and the train was going to the Rebbe. After the war, even though World War II had ended, there wasn't exactly open passage for people to leave. As we know from the Soviet Union for quite a while. However, there was a a way out. There was a way to get out. There was, if you had enough money for bribes and for the train tickets and to get false papers, there was an escape route to, to Poland. And many, many people. <coughs> <coughs> tried this unfortunately many of those people were caught and were sent back all the people that were on Simchas Teda on Nisim's train to the Rebbe got out of Russia they got on the trains and they were allowed through their passports were accepted. They got out. Not only they got out of Russia, they even managed to see the Friedrich Rebbe. They managed to come here before 1950 to see the Friedrich Rebbe alive. The Emunabshuta of a Chassid. The pure belief of a Chassid. Pure-heartedly, he said, we're going to the Rebbe. And pure-heartedly, his wishes came into fruition. And so this Shabbos, the Shabbos reflects directly Hanukkah. It's Shabbos Hanukkah. And we know many different connections. We've spoken many times of the connections between Miketz and Hanukkah. And the most profound of all, for those who don't remember before and didn't want to hear it, don't want to listen to the archives, and want to have something good to say in Shul or by your Shabbos table, Every Pasha at the end of the Pasha tells us how many psukim, how many verses there are in this week's Pasha. 
It says the amount there are, and then it says also a simon, a sign that hints this amount of psukim. At the end of Miketz, it says not how many psukim, it says how many words there are in Miketz. There are 2,025 words at the end of Miketz. Why does it say the amount of words and not the amount of psukim? We have eight nights of Hanukkah. Each night we light a candle. A candle in Hebrew is a ner, lahadlik ner Hanukkah, ner, nun resh. Nun, the numerical value is 50, and resh, the numerical value is 200. That's 250, ner. Eight candles, eight nights. For my man from IRS, eight times 250 is 2,000. And we start Hanukkah on the 25th day of the month of Kislev, hence the 2025, a direct hint to the days of Hanukkah, and a direct connection, Pashas Miketz, to Hanukkah, and therefore we should have, on this very Shabbos Miketz, the Rabbim Biyad Matim, Tmeim Biyad Tehedim, Berashayim Biyad Tadikim, and we shall overcome, as they say, and the Mashiach will come, the Rebbe, and receive the reign of Rishenu, and all those Yadzites this week, and the Yadzites of the past, they will be very Kitsiran Rishayk Neofar, they will sing and dance, and we will all join behind Mashiach Tzidkenu, and this Shabbos, we will spend Shabbos Hanukkah in Yerushalayim, Yerakodesh, Shabbat Shalom to all, Hanukkah Sameach, and of course, Rosh Chodesh Tov, as this Shabbos and Sunday, which we of course didn't manage to get to. Shabbat Shalom.